Welcome to Ben's. Uh, my name is Pierre Reeve. I'm one of the pastors in training here. As we come to God's word, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we have uh, singed earlier, hallelujah, what a savior you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we long to grow in our knowledge of him. We long to see more of his glory. And as we uh, behold, as we contemplate his glory, we long to be changed more and more into his likeness. And so we pray for your help that by your spirit, you would do just that now. As uh, your word is uh, proclaimed, that we would see Christ in his glory. So help us now. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever felt so confident in your success only to fail miserably? Maybe uh, it was a job interview uh, you once applied for. You entered the interview room very confident in yourself only to crumble under the technical questions of the interview panel. Maybe it was with uh, some New Year's resolutions just the past month. You've uh, strongly, confidently, enthusiastically resolved to read through the whole Bible in a year this year. Yet we are the 18th of February and you've not finished Genesis yet, which is the first book of the Bible. Or you confidently resolved that you would take every opportunity to talk about Jesus with your colleagues or friends. Yet every time you could speak up, well, you're too afraid of what they might think of you, what they might say to you, and so you stay quiet. We can so often be so confident in ourselves when actually we are pretty weak and miserable. And tonight we, we meet in our passage the failure of confident disciples in a time of trial. In contrast to them stands Jesus alone, faithfully submitting to the will of his Father, fulfilling his eternal plan for the salvation of sinners like his failed disciples like us. And the goal for us is really to forsake any confidence we could have in ourselves and to look at Jesus, to have full confidence in him in the face of weakness, of sin, and of failure. And we will see this tonight in three points. Uh, first, evil is part of the plan, be confident. Second, our failure is the reason for the plan, be confident. And Jesus' condemnation fulfills the plan, be confident. So first, evil is part of the plan, be confident, verses 47 to 53. In our text, we are jumping in the middle of the action. Jesus was just telling his disciples to pray when a crowd, a crowd arrives, verse 47. Now is the time when all of Jesus' predictions of his sufferings that we've encountered many times in the Gospels and predictions of his death are going to be fulfilled. And it starts with a, with a painful betrayal. A painful betrayal, verses 47 and 48. It was still dark, very dark, as Judas led the crowd. As one of Jesus' closest followers, he 
identifies Jesus to this crowd by approaching him to kiss him. Verse 47. To kiss him. The sign of friendship, of affection, of love. Yet Jesus knows very well what's going on. He had foretold it just before in the chapter as we've read it. And so he says in verse 48, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? The sign of love and affection turns into an act of treachery, of betrayal. Judas, the one who has had shared life with Jesus for two years, almost three, listened to his teachings, saw his miracles, he betrays his master to his face with the insolence of a kiss. Now that hurts. And the disciples around Jesus begin to understand what's happening in verse 49. And so what's their response? Well, the disciples' response in verses 49 to 51, they say, verse 49, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Their instinct is to defend Jesus. Should they fight to save him? And Jesus doesn't even have the time to answer that in verse 50. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. Faced with the first temptation, the disciples fail completely. As Jesus makes clear in his answer to them, no more of this, verse 50. Jesus had told them numerous times that it was necessary for him to be rejected, to be put to death in fulfillment of the scriptures and of God's plan. But the disciples are reluctant to that. They are resisting God's plan. They don't want Jesus to suffer and die. They failed to pray back in verse 45. And now as the time of trial, temptation comes, they fall into the temptation of resisting God's plan. Jesus knew very well the agony, the agony sorry, that was waiting for him more than the disciples could ever imagine. And that's why he prayed in verse 42 in anguish about that. Yet in his prayer, he chose to submit to the will of his father, which meant in this situation not defending himself when betrayed and arrested. And so as a sign of his willingness to fulfill his task and to suffer, he, verse 51, touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus will not fight back. And in verses 52 to 53, we see Jesus' response to the crowd. Jesus' response. This great crowd of officials, composed of, of the chief priests, the, the officers of the temple guards, and the elders, have made the trip altogether to arrest him with swords and clubs. It's quite ironic. They are acting as if Jesus was uh, the most dangerous criminal or a revolutionary leader. His healing of the man there proves just the opposite. And moreover, Jesus has not been acting in darkness as a criminal would do. As he says in verse 53, every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. Jesus is plainly innocent. They are the ones acting, acting and scheming in the darkness. And so Jesus says, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus knows 
the time has come for him to suffer, to subject himself to the power of darkness. This is the moment when evil men have their way. It is their hour. More than that, it is the moment when Satan has his way, or seemingly so. I don't know if you noticed, but the spiritual world has been in the background all along. Satan has entered Judas in verse 3. He has asked to sift all the disciples as wheat, verse 31. An angel strengthened Jesus in verse 43. Behind the scheming of the religious leaders and Judas' betrayal, spiritual forces are at work. And this all highlights for us the significance of this moment in Jesus' life. Human and spiritual forces combine to kill the Son of God. At this crucial moment in the history, not just of the life of Jesus, but of the cosmos, darkness seems to take control. But is everything lost? Are things getting out of hand for Jesus? Well, no, it's all part of God's plan. Jesus had foretold that all this would happen. The scripture is being fulfilled, as Jesus said back in verse 37. Through the works of darkness, God is about to bring about the greatest salvation in the history of humanity. The, there is a, an amazing truth here that God used the power of darkness to provoke its undoing. Evil was used as part of God's plan to exalt his son, to save his people, and to destroy evil. But in order to do that, Jesus had to go as far as subjecting himself to the reign of darkness, letting himself be betrayed and arrested without defending himself. He was resolved to drink the cup according to their father's plan. Does it feel sometimes like evil and darkness are having the upper hand in your life? Everything seems to be going wrong. Wicked people around you seem to have their way. It's almost as if you could hear the devil laugh in the background. But God has not lost control. He used the darkest of darkness in the life of Jesus to bring about the greatest good, your salvation. He will use the darkness you are experiencing in your life for your good and his glory. Wherever it be the angry boss, the rebellious child, the dark clouds of depression, the financial struggle. That's not to explain away your suffering. Jesus knew that all this suffering was part of the plan and it was not going to make it much easier for him. It was still very painful, beyond comprehension for us. And also we may sometimes never understand why certain things happen to us. Yet in this we can look with confidence to the Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior and King who went through the darkest of darkness to conquer evil for us. So that in the present, it has no ultimate claim anymore 
on us. And that on the future, it, would be, it will be banished forever. And he is now with us as the king who is in control and who has triumphed over darkness. We begin to see emerging here a picture of, of the faithful and perfect Savior we have in Jesus in whom we can be fully confident. Evil is part of the plan, be confident. We don't just see evil in this text, but we also see great failure, especially with Peter, and that's our second point. Our failure is the reason for the plan. Be confident, verses 54 to 62. At this point, the focus shifts from being on Jesus to being on Peter. Peter, out of all the apostles, was certainly the most fearless. As Jesus is arrested and taken away, he follows from a distance, verse 54. Back in verse 33, he said that he was ready to go to prison and even to die with Jesus. Is Peter going to heroically stand by his Lord in his suffering and agony? So Peter sits around the fire in the courtyard of the house of the high priest, verse 55. And that's already very brave. He's in enemy territory. No doubt people who were part of the crowd that arrested Jesus were sitting around the fire with Peter. But Peter is able to sneak in in the dark to see what will happen to Jesus. And yet as he warms himself by the fire, the light of the flames make his face visible. And verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. Peter is uncovered. He could be arrested like Jesus, maybe beaten, maybe even put to death. And I can imagine Peter's heart pounding in his chest, faced with the temptation to avoid suffering by denying his master, Peter fails. Woman, I don't know him, he said. Verse 57, and again, verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Peter, who felt so brave, so confident a few hours ago, miserably faced, failed when faced with temptation. And an hour, a long hour passes before the next test. Who knows what was going through his head that whole time? Was he already regretting? Was he pondering on his two denials? Was he resolved to say that he was with Jesus the next time? Yet the third test is no more conclusive. Verse 59. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Peter, the great, fearless apostle, failed desperately. He had failed to stay awake and to pray back in the Mount of Olives in verses 45 and 46. And so now he has fallen into temptation. He has denied Jesus. He could not resist Satan's sifting announced by Jesus in verse 41. 
And that's when the penny drops for Peter, verse 60. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowned. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crowns today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Imagine Jesus' look to Peter. Not of disappointment, Jesus knew this would happen. He had foretold it. But certainly the look of a very lonely man. A man who has just been betrayed by one of his closest disciples and now has been disowned by his bravest disciple. And this look brings back to Peter's memory the words of Jesus. He now realizes more fully the depth of his failure. He had said that he would stand. But Jesus was right. He was going to fail him. And this highlights for us the weakness of human nature, even at its best. The most courageous and strong-willed apostle failed to stand with Jesus at the crucial hour. He fell into temptation. He couldn't resist Satan's sifting, and he let Jesus down. Can you relate to that? Do you ever feel like you've let Jesus down? in the way you so easily fall into temptation. You lost it again with your kids when you said you wouldn't anymore. You went back on that website when you said that you wouldn't anymore. Or maybe very much like Peter, you failed to stand with Jesus in your office or in your lecture theater. Someone made a comment about Christians being backwards bigots, and suddenly someone else turns to you and says, hey, aren't you a Christian? All eyes turn to stare at you and you just mumble something and, and leave as quickly as possible, wishing you could just disappear from sight. Often we fail, often we sin, we are weak. And if you're not a Christian, do you sometimes sense that despite your best efforts, and your greatest resolve, you fail to live up to your own standards. That you always fall back in the same old ways and patterns you wanted to break free from. You want to change at least certain things, but somehow it seems like you just can't do it. You have sometimes a sense of this weakness of yours, of your nature. And that is the reason why Jesus had to walk alone on this path of suffering and darkness. Peter's denials make it clear for us that Jesus was standing there forsaken by all because he alone was able to save us. Under the pressures of sin and Satan, all failed one way or another. Human nature is so weak that we cannot even help Jesus to save us. Jesus is alone, stands alone, and he alone faithfully resists the temptation to avoid the suffering necessary for the fulfillment of the Father's plan to save us. And so there is 
alone, accomplishing what none of us could do, rejected by all for our salvation. And the penny must drop for us as it did for Peter. We must realize that we are not the strong person we thought we were, that we are not the good person we thought we were. We must come to that place of insight and of clarity on our own state of weakness, of sinfulness, so easily pray to Satan and to evil. Because only then will we be able to see clearly the perfect faithfulness and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are weak and sinful, and that's the point. That's why Jesus did it all. This is the Savior we need and the one we can be confident in. That means that when we fail to stand up for Jesus at work, yes, we should lament our failing like Peter, but we should not stop there, but turn to Jesus in prayer, confess our failings, and ask for his grace to stand firm the next time. Jesus knows our weakness. That's why he went all the way to the cross alone. So we can be quick to confess it to him. And if he died and rose again, it was to give us new life in the spirit so that we could grow, change, and stand for him, independence on him. So ask for his grace and help to stand firm. When you've lost it again with your kids and you feel ashamed, don't let the shame pull you away from Jesus or from your family. Confess to Jesus. That's why he came, because of your weakness and of your sin. And confess to your family. Jesus knows your weakness. Jesus wants to help you grow, change by his spirit in you. That's why he came, died, and rose again. So be quick to turn to him in prayer for forgiveness and for strength to stand in the face of temptation, standing on him. Our failure is the reason for the plan. So be confident. Because there is one who was faithful, Jesus Christ. And that's what we see even more clearly in our final point. Jesus' condemnation fulfills the plan, be confident, Verses 66 to 71, Jesus' condemnation fulfills the plan. Be confident. All the suffering, all the beating and mocking that Jesus had time and time again said would happen to him is now being fulfilled. And as this trying times, time begins, we see Jesus standing firm, faithfully fulfilling the plan of God. First, by not resisting. In verses 63 to 65. And secondly, by rightly confessing. Verses 66 to 71. So first, Jesus does not resist. Verses 63 to 65. Things start to get really rough for Jesus. He's being abused verbally, physically. Verse 63. In their wickedness, uh, look down with me at verse 64. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hits you? They are ridiculing his claim to be the Messiah. But it is ironic because Jesus' words are coming true at this very moment. He said that he would be mocked. He had foretold that Peter would deny him, that Judas would betray him, 
Jesus is truly a prophet and more. Yet as they revile and insult him, he does not reply. He does not resist. As Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah that was to come about 700 years before Jesus' time. I read from Isaiah 63, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus faithfully fulfills the scriptures. He walks willingly the path of suffering to save us. And next, Jesus rightly confesses, verses 66 to 71. Jesus is then brought to, to the highest Jewish court. And the trial begins with a key question. Verse 67, look with me. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. The Messiah was the, the title of, of God's promised king. Uh, he would, um, as the scriptures had promised, would come, establish the kingdom of God, and save, deliver his people from their enemies. It was the figure the Jews had waited uh, for centuries. Is it Jesus? Is he the real deal? Is he the Messiah? But the question isn't genuine, and Jesus knows it very well. And so he answers, look down with me, just after the question in verse 67, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. The council has already made up its mind about Jesus. They, are, they were already plotting at the beginning of chapter 22 in order to put him to death. And Jesus knows that they will never believe in him, whatever he says. Despite all the evidence of the contrary, all the miracles he'd done, all the teachings he had uh, taught and that they have seen and heard. But all they want is an official reason to be able to hand him over to the Romans to be put to death. And if he claims to be the Messiah, the king of the Jews, that means that they can get their way, that they can get him executed by the Romans. They are not here to give Jesus a fair hearing. If you are not a Christian here tonight, I wonder, do you give Jesus a fair hearing? Or have you already decided what to make of him before even listening, considering what he says of himself? Are you here because you genuinely want to know who is Jesus? Or because you are looking for a pretext to reject him all the more? Jesus doesn't answer with a straight yes or no. He answers them with something better, with a shocking declaration of his coming reign over all creation at the side of God the Father. Verse 69, he says, But from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Jesus here refers to a prophecy in Daniel 7 in which uh, a figure of the Son of Man receives from God an everlasting kingdom and dominion over all creation. And here Jesus combines that reference with a reference to Psalm 110 about the Messiah that says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Jesus declares here that he is the Messiah and that the time of fulfillment has come. That the time of his enthronement, of his reign over all things is coming. And he says now. The time of fulfillment has come. Jesus knows that his suffering and his death will result in his resurrection and reign. This might be the hour of darkness, the hour of the religious leaders, but Jesus knows that going through this hour is part of the plan for him to enter his reign, to have dominion over all creation, to defeat sin, to defeat Satan and evil. He knows that this unjust condemnation is fulfilling the plan. And the council understands Jesus' shocking claim. They know their Old Testament very well. They've connected these things together. And they draw the right conclusion, linking Psalm 110 with Psalm 2, where the Messiah is called the Son of God. They ask to Jesus, are you then the Son of God? A pointed question to which the answer means life or death for Jesus at this point. And he replies, you say that I am. Jesus faithfully confesses his identity, knowing full well that he has just given them what they want and what they need to get him killed. As Jesus rightly predicted, they didn't even consider for a second if this was true or not. They've got what they want, so the examination is over, verse 71, then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Well, what do you make of Jesus' claim tonight if you are not a Christian? Jesus has died. He has risen. He now reigns from the right hand of God the Father and will one day judge all men. Will you dismiss and reject him like they did? Or will you believe in him for your salvation? And if you're not sure what you think, I hope you realize that you need to investigate. It's too important for you to leave it there, to think about it later. No, it's too important. Come chat to me or the Christian friend who brought you along tonight. Ask. Grab, you can grab one of these. They're just over there. They're Mark's Gospels, accounts of the life of Jesus, a bit like Luke's Gospel. Take one, read, investigate, see who Jesus is. Look for yourself. You can't leave it there. Jesus' claims about himself are too big for you to dismiss them, just like this. In the face of temptation to avoid suffering, Jesus stood faithfully, confessing rightly his identity for the fulfillment of his mission. His prayer in uh, the Mount of Olives, not my will, but your will be done, is played out right there in this courtroom. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He does not seek a way out. He rightly declares his identity as God's king, the son of God. He faced his destiny with courage for the fulfillment of the Father's plan, knowing that his suffering, condemnation, and death would lead to his victory over darkness and the salvation of his people. And this should give us amazing confidence in our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the faithful one 
who has entered the hour of darkness without falling into temptation. He bravely spoke truth to his own condemnation. He stood firm in the darkest hour for our sake. He fulfilled the Father's plan. He did not let us down in that courtroom. And that means that he has won the victory over his enemies. Satan, who has sifted Peter and the disciples, this great enemy against we could not prevail, has been defeated by Jesus' faithful obedience up to death. Even as he subjected himself to the power of darkness, it was in order to conquer it forever. And the good news is that Jesus wasn't just victorious over evil and sin for his own sake, but for our sake, so that we could be victorious with him too. Have you lost hope in victory over sin? You say, I've done it so many times, I've tried so many different things, I'm never going to change, I'm hopeless, it's impossible. Well, if you are a Christian, this is a lie. In the light of what Christ has done, in the light of this text, it is impossible to believe these things to be true. Christ has defeated evil so that we could live in freedom from sin and from evil under his reign, not under the reign of sin and Satan. With Christ, you can change. With Christ, you can make progress. You can say no to sin. You are not under Satan's dominion. This is not triumphalism, to be clear. I'm not saying that you can be perfect and sinless now. But one day you will be. No more sin, no more Satan, no more temptation, no more evil. One day when Jesus comes again, victory will be absolute. And so we cannot give into despair. We cannot. Change is possible now and ultimate victory is inevitable. All because of Christ. And so if you have fallen into despair because of a weakness of yours, a sin of yours, some failures of yours, confess it to Christ. Bring it to him. And resolve before him to take up arms again against your sin. Not in your strength, not with confidence in yourself, but in the strength he gives. Confident in him through prayer, prayer and the Spirit. In the face of our weakness and failures and our sins, there is only one place to turn. There is only one person to find confidence in, Jesus Christ, the one who faithfully fulfilled the Father's plan to save us. There is no other king like Jesus. There is no other savior like Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there is no greater gift you have given to us than your Son, Jesus Christ. We have been confronted uh, through this passage to our, our own weakness, our failures, our sins. We have been reminded of how hopeless and helpless we were left to ourselves, that there was no hope for us whatsoever. 
And we are amazed and we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one man who stood there in our place, who faithfully submitted to your will, who stood sinless until the end, who faithfully went to that place of suffering, agony and death for us. We thank you for him and we pray that you would give us confidence in him, that you would give us to fix our eyes on him and him alone. That's in the face of all weakness, failures and temptations, we would look to him and find strength until he comes again and we finally see him face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.